Hello and welcome to the Sounds of Salisbury podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Ellen. And we're here to bring you the sounds of the Salisbury music scene. And the voices of the community. So what have we got in store for our listeners this week, Ellen? Dragons. Ooh. Yes. You I heard it right. love dragons. Do you? Yeah. Who doesn't love dragons? Well, that's news. I got like a list of my ten favourite dragons of all time. Have you? <laughs> why, why, why is that funny? Well, I only know one dragon and that was my nan. <laughs> <laughs> we all loved her, to be fair. Oh, Fondly known. She could I didn't realise you had a whole list. Oh yeah, she could make is a she great on there? vodka. No, she's not. Okay, so do you want to know how we came up with the theme of dragons? Uh, yes, please let, let us, everybody know how we came up with the uh, theme, <laughs> theme for dragons. Okay, maybe that was a little bit more me. Uh, but first, we are going to hear a couple of snippets of what you can expect from today's podcast. At least one venue said, as soon as they saw those, they fell upon them and they said, I'm going to photocopy these and give them to all my staff. Um, they wanted emo music for the night. So we're like, we kind of do emo, pop punk and rock stuff around the 2000s era, which is what they were looking for. So we wanted to come up with a theme for every podcast. So we've looked at the calendars and we're seeing what's going on. And this week we are celebrating the transitional period for the Chinese New Year. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we are now transitioning into the year of the dragon. So why not celebrate the dragon? As you are such a fan, I've now found out. (laughs) Come on, dragons are cool. Okay, Salisbury's got... Some connections to dragons. Gilbert. Gilbert the dragon. Yeah, he's now nicely retired. Well, nicely retired. I will say he doesn't make my top ten list, but, you know. That's because you're not under the age of five. (laughs) Wow. And um, you said while we were chatting off air that there are dragons in the cathedral or around the cathedral... There are. There are. More than you would expect. If you take your children down to Salisbury Cathedral, it's a great game to go dragon spotting in the stained glass windows or the carvings on the outside. I don't know if many people know, but the restoration of the cathedral took almost as long as the building of the central part of the cathedral in terms of, I think it was 38 years. And during that process, one of the... um, ladies that was restoring a woman called carol pike added some additional carvings for future restorers uh, to find and one of her new carvings that she's left is actually a baby dragon oh still not on my list but hey i like it good start (laughs) okay so there's one more maybe this one's on your list okay okay hobnob not the biscuit, don't get excited. So you, for a second, I'm like, now we're talking, but no, go on, carry on. Yeah, this is a little bit of, people may argue whether Hobnob is a dragon or is not a dragon. Uh, we have a medieval giant in Salisbury called Christopher, who's paraded through the streets generally around the May time each year. Uh, he originally was 14 foot tall. He's been paraded for over 500 years in Salisbury. 
Uh, you can now find him in the Salisbury Museum. He's now only 12 foot tall, sadly. Oh. They had to cut him down because they couldn't fit him in. But he has a sidekick called Hobnob. Okay. Who some people say is a hobby horse, but some people say he was actually a dragon. So, Ellen, uh, tell us about our first guest today. Okay, um, but the first guest actually isn't the original guest. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I decided to look at Dungeons and Dragons <gasps> on the theme of dragons. And I came across this place called My Comic Soda Bar in Catherine Street. Okay, yeah. Which is where um, Fabricland used to be. And I popped in there one lunchtime and I saw a chap called Colin and explained to him what we were doing and why I wanted to speak to him. I think he thought I was a little bit mad, <laughs> but gave me his time anyway. We had a cup of coffee and we sat down and I started chatting about Dungeons and Dragons. I'm very unknowledgeable about Dungeons and Dragons, but I was really intrigued as to what he, it was that he was doing there. He explained all the stories of, from his childhood uh, where he they would all go to friends' houses to play the games. And he wanted and wants to and is actually achieving a place where the youth can come with their friends and meet people that they don't yet know but like-minded people to play games like Dungeons & Dragons. He also does junior Dungeons & Dragons on a Monday evening. He does Yu-Gi-Oh! on a Saturday. He does Pokemon on a Sunday. He does this new now thing on a Friday evening called Magic of the Gathering. It's it's a real place. It's almost like a drop-in centre for the geeks of Salisbury to come in. Okay, well, I love the sound of that. So, um, he's not our guest, though. <laughs> no, he's not our guest. Um, during the conversations I was having with him, he also mentioned that he is a safe place. A uh, safe place? Okay. A safe What's place. What's that? Um, the guest will actually explain. Okay. So, I interviewed Liz uh, from Safer and Supportive Salisbury, and she'll explain all about it. first looked at safe spaces i i found that it'd been in salisbury since 2011 that's right yeah, that's when that's it right. was first introduced into salisbury mm. and two weeks ago was the first time i'd ever heard of it just that i've never needed to mm. i mm. guess mm. but i have noticed now all of the stickers in people's windows Oh, good, good. Um, so you've started to, yeah, to, yeah, started to see, to see them. See We've got about um, 28 safe places in Salisbury now um, as part of our relaunch. Um, yeah. So if I get, we go back to the history, yes, it has been running for over 10 years, but it, it went through a bit of a lull um, during which time we didn't recruit any new members and... I wouldn't say we took our eye off the ball. There were lots of things going on. And then the pandemic came along and we thought, well, what point was trying to refresh the scheme when everything shut? <laughs> so we parked it. And then once things started reopening, um, what we did is I got a, a working group together from members of Safer and Supportive Salisbury Network. And we um, put together a resources pack um, as part of the relaunch. And that pack um, is, is given to every yeah. It's given yeah. to every um, safe place that we recruit. Inside is sort of information that 
uh, venue owners, shopkeepers, uh, managers need to know, um, obviously, what a safe place is, the sort of thing that might happen to them, the sort of person that might come in. Because the idea of a safe place is it's sort of refuge. Um, you could be lost. You could be in Salisbury for the first time and lose your way. Um, and you see the sticker and you can go in and say, I'm trying to find, I don't know, marks or boots or whatever, and I'm lost. Um, or I don't know where I put my car, you know, that kind of thing. Um, or it could be that you have your handbag stolen or your phone runs out of charge or you put your purse down on a counter and you look around and it's gone and you don't know, you can't remember. That kind of thing that happens in the moment, really. And it can also be for people with dementia who might get separated from their carer or their partner. And that can be a bit alarming if you suffer from sort of mental health issues. So it's somewhere to go where people will be understanding, they will be helpful. They won't just say, oh, if you're not going to buy anything, get out. Yeah, They'll yeah. say, come in, sit down. Can I get you a glass of water? Some of them might even say, can I make you a cup of tea? You know, what's the problem? How can we help? So in the pack, we've put some scenarios of things that have actually happened in the past to give safe places staff an idea of what to expect. Um, for example, I used to work in a safe place years ago and we had a youngster who came in having been involved in a fight. He'd been picked on and bullied. He was about 14, I suppose. And he came in all covered in blood and bruises and, you know, mud and as kids get. And um, so we, came, we said, come in, sit down. We cleaned up his bruises and said, what's going on? And he told us that this gang of boys had been following him and he'd come in there because he knew it was a safe place that, you know, that somewhere he could go. So I got, I rang the police and got a police officer to come and take a statement from him. Once we talked to him and understood that this was something he actually wanted to report. We also, of course, rang his mother. And by the time his mother got there and the police got there, it was about the same time. So we were able to put them together in a room quietly. And they, she, he was able to talk to the police officer with his mother there. And Amazing. afterwards, his mother said to me, thank you so much. She said, I've reported this at school. I've reported this to all sorts of people and nobody takes any notice. You're the first person and to get the police to come and to take notice and to do something. So we felt we'd done a bit of good that day. Absolutely. You know, the lad had, yeah. had been sorted. And Is it promoted so in the schools? You know, do the schools talk to students and say that these facilities um, are in That's town? a good idea. That's yeah. a good idea. That's certainly something we can suggest. I mean, I know schools have got such a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. But, yeah, we can certainly tell them about it. produced um, alongside the resources pack is a, a little leaflet, um, an A4 leaflet that folds, three-fold leaflet. We were able to produce that with the support of Salisbury Reds, the bus company, who gave us um, a community grant. And this leaflet tells you more or less what I've just told you, what safe places are all about, what they're yep. for, what the you know what sticker to look out for, and what you can expect. Um, and that is in the information centre. It's in doctors' surgeries. It's at the hospital. It's at the motability. Um, shop mobility uh, venue um, it's all over the city in different places where people might pick up information oh it's in yeah. the pantry uh, places I, like I that I actually picked up mine from my comic soda bar he gave me one uh, when I was in yes, there I, yeah, I gave so him a pile of those yes, them out. Yep. <laughs> yeah good so as you'll see it's written in quite simple language not to be patronising but because the people looking at it might be you know might have various issues and it, trying to make it as simple and straightforward as we can um, and then yeah. inside the pack that goes to um, the venues, we've also got a little bit of information on safeguarding, not 
the whole safeguarding guidance, but a few points for them to watch out for. We've also got um, some images of the kinds of things to look out for that people might be carrying, like a card or a bracelet or a lanyard. If somebody perhaps has diabetes or heart problems, they might be carrying something and the person in the safe place can look for that and then know how to help them. And also people might be carrying a card with a number on to say, please ring this number. So it's to kind of just give them some tips along the way. Um, Also in there, we've got some evaluation sheets, which we ask the safe places to complete for us. Uh, if they got time, this is not compulsory, but the idea is we could go back then and see if the place has been used, the sort of age group of the person that's used it, the kind of problem they had and how it was resolved. And it's just to say how the scheme is working. And if there are things that we need to tweak, that would help us to know the kinds of things we could do better when, you know, as we go on with the scheme. Um, The other thing we've been able to do with the support of Salisbury Bid, I have to get our sponsors' names in, um, is to join the the National Safe Places scheme, which means um, with that money, our name is on a national website. I can send you the link to the website. And um, on there, you can also download an app for your phone. So, and that's actually mentioned in the leaflet as well. So that if you're going through the city, you've done it. I downloaded it. I checked it out whilst I was walking through town at lunchtime. (laughs) And it works. It's very yep. good. It's very yeah, good. good. It gives good. you all the little pinpoints yeah. of all of the. Yeah. Um, local it takes shots you to your nearest safe place. Yeah. yeah, and it also yeah. and gives you directions to it. If you click on the give me directions, Absolutely. it's, it's yeah, brilliant. Yeah. It's a very good app. Yeah, and very excitingly, because this is something was one of my ambitions, we recruited a twenty four seven safe place in the White Hart. Yes. which means that even at two in the morning, there is somebody in Salisbury that will open the door, come and sit down, I'll sort you out, whatever it is. And that, I think, was really important because I felt that there might be people in the early hours of the morning when everything's shut that actually just need a friendly face and someone to help them out. So um, I was quite excited that we were able to get the White Heart to agree to be um, 124-7. involved with Safer and Supportive Salisbury quite a few years ago because I just thought it sounded like a great organisation and you probably know it's a network of community groups and organisations that join together Um, there's sort of an umbrella that we work under and I'm a member of um, Salisbury Seroptimist which is a women's organisation and our aim is to make the world a better place for women and girls so I joined SAS, as we call it for short, as the representative of the Seroptimists. And um, I thought this is a great organisation because it does more than the Seroptimists can do on their own because it takes in so many of the other organisations across the city. So I got quite involved on, I was involved on what was the steering group. And now I'm actually a trustee of SAS um, because we've recently got charitable status very excited about because that gives us access to all kinds of funding streams we didn't have access to before so we're kind of looking at ways that we can broaden some of the things we do with more funding and different funding and then when we were looking at refreshing the safe places um Anne Trevette said oh who'd like to take the lead on this and I just put my hand up and said well I'm happy to work if anybody wants to join the group and that's that's how it came resource pack there's also um, a few sheets of useful contact numbers um, that you know somebody managing a venue might find useful Um, not just the the police and um, 
the council and people like that, but also other numbers of, of help services, including like veteran support and places like that, um, elaborate, people that might be useful to somebody who's who's having problems. Um, we got a bit carried away. We started off with, with one sheet and I think we ended up with three in the end <laughs> just because we said, oh, that could be useful, that could be useful. So um, I know at least one venue said as soon as they saw those, they fell upon them and they said, I'm going to photocopy these and give them to all my staff. <laughs> yep. So um, they're obviously quite useful and we checked them all to make sure they're all up to date because you know how phone numbers get, get changed and people don't always know the new numbers. So um, yeah. so that's another useful thing. Are, we've are, they, are those numbers on the website have. as well or are they just in the packs? They're just in the pack, actually, but I, I could um, get a pack to you if you're interested. Um, I don't know where you are, but we could talk about that after. Yeah, well, we live in <clears> Durrington. <throat> um, I do work in Salisbury, so I can always oh. meet up over lunchtime right. yeah. and grab a pack. Yeah. And then if we yeah. let people know that we also have a pack, they have any questions and they want to contact someone, we can always dish out yeah. a phone number. And I could give you some of those leaflets as well, if it's useful. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Area to be a safe yeah. place. Well, I tell you what, we, we do a bit of um, research. We look at the outside and we look to see if people in the shop are visible that might sound daft but you imagine yep. yourself a bit distressed walking into a shop where you can't see what's in there yeah. that might be a bit um intimidating in itself and also if somebody comes in and they're sitting down um we would like to make sure that they're seen from the street or reasonably visible just for safeguarding yeah because what we wouldn't want is for someone to make allegations about this happened and i went into that safe place and it wasn't safe so we try and make it somewhere that looks quite open and roomy and light yeah. um, where there would be somewhere you could sit in a public area are you looking at places outside of central salisbury as well or are you predominantly central salisbury well we focused on the city center but we do have some in the outlying areas for example the borough cafe in downton is a safe place yeah. um we also have the library in Downton, which is a safe place. The, the library in, in Salisbury is obviously a safe place. So uh, we are happy to go to the out, outer villages and areas, um, but we want them to be seen as Salisbury, really. Um, although having said that, we're getting some interest from other bits of Wiltshire now um, mm. for setting up their own schemes. And we're talking to them actively to see whether we can help them to get going um, in their own areas, because it's a very simple thing to do. And it's a very friendly and welcoming way to help people who are having a, a problem or two along yeah. the way, that just somewhere they can go for some help. Yeah, so, so telling them your experience, how you've set yeah. it up, get let them yeah, do yeah. it in their local areas. Yes, they have their own ways of doing it, but we're happy to share what we've done and, and how we've done it with them. So, yeah, it's a very light touch scheme. We're not really asking them to do anything exceptional or clever or, you know, but if they wanted. Um, and the other good thing, of course, is we've got the city rangers during um, shop opening hours, at least during Salisbury. So during the day in Salisbury. So. If somebody needed some first aid help or something like that, could always radio um, a ranger, a city ranger who would come to assist. And of course, they would then be in touch with the police and the ambulance and so on. And that's a good scheme in Salisbury, which not every city has got. So we are quite well set up in, in the city for that yeah. um, service. There's lots of schemes. Um, and what I really in, like to hear is you're, you're all talking to each other and helping each other. 
Yes. And yes. So yeah. you don't need necessarily if somebody goes into a safe place, they don't. The people in the safe place don't necessarily need to be trained specifically for the needs of the person coming in, but they'll have the numbers for people to call who can come exactly. quite quickly because mm. they're also local. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's not asking, as I say, any special skills or training. It's just common sense and, and being being a refuge for somebody yeah. in a moment of crisis. That's, that's what it's all about. Thank you so much Lovely. for your time, Liz. Well, I think considering we've lived in and around Salisbury for most of our lives, not knowing about safe places, really strange. But like, as you said in the interview, now that you've know about it you see the, the the posters in the in the windows of certain shops the one thing that really stood out for me uh, was the white heart and that being a 24 hour you know, 24 7 place for people to go to especially if you're out at night and something happens you're a little bit spooked or just not feeling very well or something and you're not not sure where to go it's a great place to be able to just go and feel safe yeah so, yeah, I mean, that is fantastic. I think the thing that stuck out for me is the community aspect of what it is that they're doing and how they're connected to all of the other people that are actually out there on our streets making Salisbury a safer place to be. And I don't think I've ever really felt threatened in Salisbury. I know instances do happen, um, but I do know that we have a really good structure of volunteers in and around Salisbury. And this is just another example of those, really. And to bring awareness to people so that they know it's there, like us, we didn't know it was there. I do feel even safer now I know I've got somewhere to go. Yeah. So that's what I brought to the podcast for the theme of dragons. How did you do with the music scene, Alex? Well, I did quite nicely, thank you very much. Um, So I decided for music guest i wanted to go down the road of the open mics in salisbury because we have loads there are some it's the winnie gate for one you've got music for fun you've got one at the duck in laverstock as well uh, but because of the theme i decided that the uh, the best place to go was the george and dragon so i caught up with the man that hosts it the brilliant Lucas Hardy. Um, so, Lucas, uh, how important do you think um, open mic nights are for for artists, whether it's um, people that are just starting out or people that have been around for a while? Oh, well, yeah, for both of them, I think it's a really good way to get your reps in as an artist. Um you can't always be booked for gigs solidly. So if you want to try out new material and things like that, especially in a live setting, open mics are the best for it. Like as musicians and, you know, even from like comedians years ago, it's like the best way to try out how a song's doing or how a piece of material is doing in your repertoire. Um, and just being in front of like-minded musicians that are in the same boat. Um, it's not just a crowd of people that have come to watch music. It's people that have come to play normally as well. It's like a 50-50 split in the audience. So, yeah, it's super important for both if you are an established musician and a new musician as well. Salisbury's got a, 
a huge amount of, of, of open mic nights. It's, uh, and they don't sort of, they don't seem to compete. There seems to be a really good uh, vibe around all of them. Yeah, um, I used to go to one at the Music Box. That was like a regular for me years ago. Um, and I got to meet a loads of people there and was told how many there were. So, you know, over the years, I've just done the rounds. Let's go into the different ones. And, you know, there's there's regulars at all of them, but then there'll be new people that show up. And it's kind of mind-blowing that there's still new musicians coming out of Salisbury. And it's um, exciting, you know, because you, you think, oh, I know everyone now. And you're like, oh, well, this person's amazing. Where have you been? Where, where is your stuff? Can I listen to it on Spotify, please? So, yeah. Um, and, yeah, with the competing side thing, that there is none of that, is there, really? There's no ego and things like that because oh, at the end of the day everyone's struggling to keep their venues open so it's better to work together and uh, us musicians stick together as well because it's part of the fun absolutely do you think there's anything um that the georgian dragon open mic does differently um so i've been doing it for about a year now uh i when i started doing it i wanted to keep it quite a relaxed environment in that people can just get up and just be themselves i don't really go up and like do the whole and now next up is so and so because i just want them to get up there and um you know make it their their gig almost you know uh so differently maybe that but other than that i i just like having people get up and play in their tunes but sometimes we get some collaborations as well which uh you know you know paul uh Furtado, he's so puppet jukebox now he's he's really good at like clicking with people there and um getting them to feel comfortable like doing collaborations as well um, not just him but there's a bunch of people that do that too and uh i just get to twiddle the knobs of a sound desk and enjoy musical night which is fun yeah it's really interesting to to have a look at your socials on a like on a monday morning or monday afternoon after you've had the open mic on a sunday um and see all the people that have have performed and yeah you're absolutely right that i think the collaboration is is one of the things that i really like about the georgian dragon uh, open mic people that are potentially not quite as like confident seem to still get up because they've got somebody like paul who is just a phenomenal person and player he, he can just coax that out of them yeah and that's exactly, like you said, that's exactly what you want from an open mic to give people the opportunity to come out and kind of go, hey, you know, this is, this is, we're, we're all in this together. Come and enjoy yourself. A hundred percent. That's, yeah, I, I brought him up first because he was one of the main people that kind of brought me back into playing live again. Cause I was a little bit, um, well, I think a lot of us were after the pandemic and stuff, getting out and gigging again was a bit strange and felt like you were starting from the bottom again. Um, so I was just going to open mics and the the Georgian Dragon is one of the main ones I went to and just got me up to play a few songs. And um, from then on, it's just been building a family there. You know, if that, if that sounds a bit cliche, but it's been really good. It, it, I know you say it sounds a bit cliche, but it's literally in my notes. So it, it works perfectly. So we went there uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, to to the open mic I performed yes. there and the one thing we've written down there is there's a great family vibe everyone there you know knows each other or always appreciative of the fact that people are getting up and performing for for them and just love what everyone is doing yeah you know and there's a a, a difference in in the the the, the people that are, are performing 
from a from the perspective of you know experience um but everyone is is appreciated and it was that was that was one of the things that really struck just how nice and how friendly everybody was yeah yeah i, I it's nice to have a level playing field um in that kind of environment it's not like the last people I, I i i close the show every week just to say thank you but like i never really think about running orders it's just do you want to play now like there's there's a good crowd now if you want to um it's not like the people that come the most headline if that makes sense yeah i just want people to have like experience in playing in all time slots because a 7 p.m time slots far different to a 10 p.m one because Absolutely. most because of alcohol but, <laughs> but yeah it's good <laughs> And and you, uh, having watched you, you clearly get a, a, a great buzz from performing live. A hundred percent, yes. It's a, uh, it's my therapy, I guess. Um, more and more, every every week, I get to play songs there. So it's kind of it scratches my itch for playing live a lot. Um, but getting to play anywhere is a is a privilege for me. I, I really do enjoy it. Um, and working on new stuff at the moment is like almost revitalized it even more, which I didn't think could happen. But yeah, it's cool. Um, so we, you spoke about Paul and yes. the sort of connections and the collaborations that have come from uh, the George and Dragon open mic. So I can think of two. So um, we recently interviewed uh, the Ditch Gypsies who have sort of come together at the, uh, at the open mic and um, are now moving on to to performing and, and doing well for themselves. Yeah, Reed but, and Shelley are amazing. Yeah, they, they, they did really well at, uh, at Wilton Live. They, they were fantastic. Um, but the, the, the guys that I really want to talk to you about specifically are Threemo. So that is yourself and uh, Paul yeah. Furtado and Dave Howell. So how did that come about? So we, we I guess we kind of met at the Georgian Dragon Open Mic, to be honest, and we we'd, uh, we're regulars there now, obviously, but um, we kind of got used to each other's sets. And there was a birthday party. Uh, who was it for? Oh my god, terrible memory. But we played a birthday party, and um, they wanted emo music for the night. So we we're like, we kind of do emo, pop punk, and rock stuff around the 2000s era, which is what they were looking for. And uh, Dave messaged us uh, both and said, perhaps we could just get together and sync our sets up to to to, to a degree and uh, that kind of that's how our band worked out it was like right we know three songs you know three songs you know three songs let's join these together and we can just switch around our instruments as we go and everyone has like a a, a point of like singing their tune if that makes sense um and that carried over until the band as well it's like it was a cool premise just for us to switch around and it keeps it fresh keeps it a bit exciting for us as well and hopefully for the people watching it um, doesn't get too samey you know yeah and there's uh, there isn't anybody like yourselves out there on the Salisbury music scene in that respect yeah that was um, another thing as well yeah because there wasn't any early 2000s music bands um, there's great new bands there's great bands that cover like older stuff as well or just popular music um, but no one touching on the Blink-182s the New Fan Glories the Green Days and things like that so getting to do that it's always been a passion of mine anyway it's the reason I play guitar anyway is because of bands like Blink and Green Day so uh, they had always been in my set and like always teased it within my original music but getting to do a whole set of those songs is really fun and you've got a great crowds when you perform live as well as a 
as the three piece. I mean, we've been to see you, and you've you've just got this great energy from the people that you bring to the gigs as well. I guess a lot of that is is from the Georgian Dragon and how people have seen you guys grow into this this group. But it's also about the music that you play because you can't help but not hear some of those songs and go, oh man, yeah, I remember this one. Yeah. And, and you're up. Yeah, that's exactly it. Because there is, there's, there's a, a load of cover bands in Salisbury and it's really cool to see, obviously. But um, having something where it kind of relates to me more was quite important and I felt like that was a that was missing in the scene. Um, something like that, especially... I don't know if you've seen about the, uh, what's it called, Panic at the Emo? They come here every now and yeah, then. Yeah. And it's an amazing club night. And it's just like, why isn't this happening like more times than just twice a year, you know? So having us around now is hopefully going to fill a little gap in the uh, in the scene that's been sorely needed. Some pop punk tunes. Um, so you're playing a Salisbury Live event Saturday at the Duck yes. and Laverstock. Uh, how much are you looking forward to that? Super, like loads and loads and loads. I haven't played the Duck uh, in many years now. I used to play there a lot. Um, what was it? A band called the DBs. Uh, they're an amazing cover band. Um, so I got to support them a couple of times there and uh, been there for a couple of pub quizzes before. So getting to go back to the Duck's going to be fun, especially with the new band. Um, I'm looking forward to like doing a quick half hour set. We've just kind of filled it with the bangers, really. <laughs> So obviously we've spoken about uh, about Threemo, but I'd really like to sort of dive a little deeper into to you and what you do. So first and foremost, you're a singer songwriter. Can you tell us a little bit about a little bit about uh, what you do? Yeah, so um, I'm yeah singer songwriter. That's kind of based more in pop punk and rock uh, than the poppy kind of side um i grew up on bands like blink 182 and green day and stuff like that so i've kind of always made that integral to my songwriting um just by habit really but uh i was always coming up with a lot of sad songs that kind of worked with the acoustic vibes so that's always kind of been the music i've written and put out um and i try and write about everything really from relationships to mental health all the way down to like family homes and things like that so you released um, Coffee in 2014. So your first single. Yeah. So there, the first year of singles. So I did Coffee, uh, City by the Sea and Blood, Sweat and Tears. So um, it was it was a strange experience writing those songs because I'd been in bands for the longest time. And I'd written songs before that as well, like just for myself. But it had always been a collaborative effort of like uh, taking maybe like 50% of a song and finishing it there or taking someone's lyrics and writing something with it. Um, so getting to the, like, write the whole thing was like, it was kind of daunting in a way, but also really exciting. And I learned so much about like production and songwriting in general, because uh, I'd, I'd picked up so much from working with other musicians from bands and things. So having released a few singles along the way, uh, in 2018, you released the album, uh, This House, It Was A Home. So how was, yeah. how was that um, process of going from doing a single here and there to uh, physically then releasing an album? Yeah, I, I'd done like EPs and like singles and stuff, but like having like a full body of work on one record that was kind of written around the same time as something that was 
I'd wanted to do it for ages. I'd just put it off for so long. I'm, I'm quite bad with that kind of stuff. But like once I kind of put my head down and started writing these songs, it all kind of became clear. I was writing a lot about like, uh, I lost my mum in 2017. So was, there was a lot about that and uh, the family home that we were in. We were in. Um, and I've recorded most of it there and uh, uh, my friend's place as well, who, you know, helped me out loads during that time as well. So um, those songs kind of relate to that situation, but also branch off onto other things in life as well. And even like looking back on my younger life too, growing up in that place. So it's not a concept album as such, but it certainly has a lot of themes that thread through it. Um, so yeah, doing that album was cathartic, therapeutic, I guess. Um, and making a f- cool physical CD was really fun to sell at shows and stuff and having this physical product that I hadn't really done before. I'd, I'd handmade CDs and things like that, but that was cool to have my name on a CD and yeah. And then we go through, you mentioned about, um, uh, about COVID and the impact that that had on, you know, on, on performances, especially live performance. Cause it just, everything just stopped, um, from that perspective. Yeah. Um, did you do any, uh, any live streaming work in, uh, during that time or did you just step away from it? All? Yeah, I, I, well, I didn't step away. I was, I was doing graphic design as my main job, uh, before the pandemic once all the businesses closed down, no one wanted a business card anymore so <laughs> to figure something else out. So, um, I kept writing and recording anyway, but I started doing it for other people like freelance work. Um, so I was doing that and then I did like a, maybe two or three live stream shows, but I, one notable one was I did for a charity. Um, I forget the name of the charity now, which is terrible of me, but we made, raised a bunch of money for that. Just doing a show from home, which was really cool. And like, you saw like a gazillion different people doing these live streams and stuff. And, you know, quite a lot of them were amazing. And it was just a, a new way to like express yourself and entertain, I guess, is part of what we do as well. So, um, I alluded to new music and you have a new single out. Yes. So new song called time. Um, I, it's a song I wrote and recorded with my dad. So it's a little bit different to what I've done before. So yeah, we recorded it last year. We played it at my little brother's wedding uh, live and um, I've been sitting on it for a while. I, I just keep, I kept tweaking it and tweaking it. And I just had to stop thinking about it and just get it out there. Uh, so it is a finished product now, obviously, but um, finally getting it out and starting the new year with new music is cool, cool for me and going to be cool for him, I guess, as well. That's so cool. <laughs> well, we are going to pop that onto the end of the podcast for people to listen to. Thank you. And I cannot wait. But Lucas, thank you very, very much for talking to us today. Well, I hope you enjoyed those interviews today and I need to take it back because I'm now really curious. Alex, you have a list? Yes, I do. Please, share said list. At number 10, he lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist. One for the oldies, Puff the Magic Dragon. But Ellen remembers singing that song. I do, but when you started going about by the sea, I was just had SpongeBob SquarePants in my head. SpongeBob SquarePants is a sponge. Yes, I know this. Not a dragon. The way you said it. 
Carry wow. On. At number nine, the wise talking little red from Mulan. It is Mushu. Now, number eight is linked to number nine, not because of the story, but because this dragon married a donkey. Oh, from Shrek. It's, do- it's Dragon from Shrek. And the link is that Donkey and Mushu were both voiced by Eddie Murphy. Oh, check out the facts. But he didn't make the list, just the characters. Number seven. It dies at the hands of an aging king. It's Beowulf's dragon. Honestly, people, if you could see the blank expression on Ellen's face right now. It's like she just doesn't know me. At number six, and this is a big one, from Game of Thrones, Drogon. Now, you'll note that I didn't give any real explanation. And that's because, and this is probably um, a, a, a segment for another podcast, but I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. No, if I... So, yeah, maybe we'll unpack that one some other time. At number five, uh, from the manga series Dragon Ball, it's Shenron. At number four, the main antagonist from The Hobbit, Smaug. At number three, you got to catch them all, oh. Charizard! <laughs> and we link back to the My Comic Soda Bar. <laughs> yes, we do. At number two, one of my favourite animated films, How to Train Your Dragon, it's Toothless. But number one, and for all you old school PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 gamers, it is Spyro the Dragon. And that is my list. If you like my lists, please let us know, and I'll come up with some equally ridiculous lists. And we're going to leave you today with Lucas Hardy's new song which he recorded with his dad called Time. Are we seeing double? Believe it's in our eyes. No more skipping moments to watch the time fly by. Cause the clock moves fast. So Does it even matter 
Just know we would be fine. It just took a little.